This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. BFM 89.9, this is The Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Calm. Life under the sea is something that has fascinated many of us since childhood, never mind the Jaws and Meg movies. But what better way to be educated and learn more about our environment and the need for conservation than with some hands-on experience and still staying on land? That's when Aquaria KLCZ came into the picture back in 2005. In the studio with me this morning is Daryl Fong, the Executive Director of Aqua Walk Group, Aquaria KLCC's parent company. Welcome back to the show and in person this time, Daryl. Pleasure to be here. For an operation like Aquaria KLCC, where you put a whole new meaning to the term fixed assets, navigating through the pandemic, um, I'm sure was certainly no joke. Uh, Aqua Walk went into the pandemic already recording a 6.4 million ringgit loss. And then to find out that you not only had to shutter the KLCC premises, but your operations in Phuket and Jakarta were equally impacted. Tell me, after the whole of 2022, back to being mostly normal, have you come out the other side unscathed? I wouldn't say unscathed is the right word. Um, we certainly come up with a lot of lessons that we've learnt. And, you know, I think 2021, 2020 was a lesson for not just us, but the entire world. Coming into 2022... Thankfully, the industry for us recovered very well. We actually performed better in 2022 than we did in 2019, which in itself was a record year for us. All right. At 60,000 square feet, you did say that at the peak of the total lockdown, Aquaria KLCC was losing some 4.8 million ringgit a month in revenue. What were the challenges like filling a hole like that? So, yeah, that's revenue loss. You know, we, we were doing very well uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic in 2019. The actual losses that the aquarium incurs in terms of operating expenditure is just under a million so during normal operations, we incur about 1.2 million in terms of maintenance, operations, so on. During the pandemic, we were able to reduce that, not by much, but to about 800,000 a month. It was very challenging. Thankfully, you know, the government was very helpful in terms of some of the wage subsidies, right. uh, some of the programs, and our staff as well were also very understanding. We did our best to ensure that we didn't have to let anyone go. We did our best to make sure that everybody had something to do. Um, and of course... With, as you mentioned, these massive fixed assets, especially the fish, the animals, yeah. the, the creatures under our care, you know, we have a duty of care to ensure that we maintain their standards of living and comfort in the aquarium. So there was not all that much we could really do to manage the bottom line. Aquaria, understandably, you guys have had to increase your entry fees. In 2011, the general admission fee was 65 ringgit. That was the last time I was there. Yes. Uh, it's cheaper for Malaysians, obviously. Today, Correct. I see that it's uh, 75 ringgit for general admission. That's a 15% increase over 10 years. Is, is this enough to cover that loss of revenue? Um, actually, uh, it is just about. We're very cognizant of the fact that, you know, the race into trade, the reason why we exist is to, you know, allow the public access to something that they otherwise would not be able to easily encounter. Mm -hmm. Our main goal is education at the end of the day and to ensure that conservation is something that remains alive in the minds of Malaysians and, and you know, our visitors to our country. With that in mind, we actually have not increased local visitorship fees by very much. I think the most we've increased it by is about 5% over the last yeah. several years. It's international fees that have gone up. Uh, yeah. And this is in tandem with 
both the increasing costs of business, um, the fact that a number of our equipments and a number of our specialist uh, tools are charged in US dollars. You know, the Malaysian ringgit is a little bit weaker when compared to some of the international currencies. And a great number of our visitors are from international countries. Now, I mean, tell me about the strategy you guys employ to decide on on the increase in admission prices. Um, perhaps, you know, some color about the cost of doing business that, that you guys experience? The cost of business really boils down to the rentals, the utilities, as well as the specialist equipment that I mentioned earlier. A lot of this mm-hmm. involves either skilled labor from outside of the country or skilled equipment, specialized equipment, you know, materials that are usually imported. So those mean those make up the majority of the the rising costs, and of course staff costs and so on increasing as well. Um, I think I'm not alone in uh, in the business world when I say that you know global conditions are affecting this. You know, increase in uh, tariffs, increase in transportation costs, and so on. But beyond that, I think um, the main strategy that we use is really a balance between the experience that people have in the aquarium and the volume of visitors that we get. So in Aquaria KLCC in 2019, we had 1 million, 1.1 million visitors to the aquarium. In 2022, we had 988,000 visitors. So that was offset by a slight increase in the pricing, as you've mentioned. Um, most of the time, we work behind the scenes to ensure that to our guests, very little changes in terms of pricing. We work very closely with a lot of our B2B uh, clients. So these are travel agencies and uh, people like Kluke and so on to come to a workable middle ground in terms of what we charge them and what they charge onwards to our customers. You spent, um, if I'm not wrong, 65 million ringgit on Aquaria KLCC plus millions more to update it along the way. Um, have you re- recouped everything? Yes, uh, we have. So the average payback period for an aquarium um, is about five to eight years. I think for Aquaria KLCC, we recouped everything in about seven or eight years. The last uh, financial figures I have for you guys is that you are still not profitable uh, as at end of 2021. Uh, could you provide us some updates on where you are now? So in 2022, uh, you know, we, we've just released our uh, audited financial statements. So at end 2022, we are profitable. Uh, the group as a whole recorded around just under 80 million in revenue and I think a profit of about Across the group, twenty five percent after tax on your way on your way to to recovery, I would say very strong recovery. We're very grateful and glad for that. Um, Malaysia has seen particularly strong recovery, both local as well as international visitorship. Uh, Phuket is also doing well. We are on track to meet budget this year and be profitable for that facility. Same goes for Jakarta as well. Jakarta is doing very well. On that note, uh, prior to COVID upending your plans, you did tell us back in November 2020 that you had set a target of 1.1 to 1.2 million visitors in 2019. Uh, you recorded up to 900,000. Where are we today? So today in Aquira KLCC, we are at about 780,000 visitors. So uh, that is about 10% above what we were doing last year, same time. By the end of the year, everything proceeding as planned, we should be about 10% up. We should be doing about a million visitors this year. 
the recovery is still rather slow. I mean, even after the, the international borders reopened um, in April last year, right? Um, international recovery is decent. I would say that is a function of both your location as well as the uh, attraction that you have. So for us, we are in a very, very sweet spot where we do have a very good mix of local and international visitorship. So in 2022, there was a lot of this pent-up demand for travel, pent-up demand for experiences, especially amongst Malaysians. Mm-hmm. We weren't able to travel out all that easily. Uh, airfares were still very high and I think are still quite high now. So we saw a large amount of local Malaysians returning to Aquira KLCC. About 80% of our visitorship was uh, local, 20% but, international. But they don't exactly contribute a lot to your to your revenues because we Malaysians visit Aquaria KLCC at a hefty discount, right? That's true. Um, but there are uh, other ancillaries as well. So about 15% of our total revenue is contributed by... Um, photography services mm. by the gift shop and so on. So that helped bolster. I think Malaysians were keen to come out and have a good time and spend. So that that helped quite a bit. Now in 2023, we see a bit of a reversal where more Malaysians are traveling out of the country and we have a lot more international visitors coming back in. So that's helped shore up our revenue as well. What do you guys do to update uh, the, the, the kinds of attractions that you have uh, at Aquaria KLCC? I mean, there's... Uh, I would say it's quite limited what you can do there, right? Uh, Because of the nature of our facility, in particular KLCC, it is underneath the convention centre. So, you know, we are limited in terms of our physical expansion. But in terms of what we can contribute to our visitors when they come in, we're always very cognizant of wanting to ensure that we either provide an updated experience or we at least provide some content and value uh, to their repeated visits. So to that end, we usually do a lot of uh, collaborations either with universities, with uh, other research institutes and so on to showcase what they have, as well as, uh, you know, work very closely with a lot of our curatorial staff to provide something interesting or something different for the visitors to see. Whether this is a new exhibit or a new display or an entirely new addition to the aquarium uh, depends on, on, you know, both the time of year as well as what renovation plans we have in place. I guess one serious challenge for an operation like Aqua Walk is that, you know, as I said earlier, your 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 fixed your fixed assets are extremely fixed. Uh, it's very limited to what you can do, um, and there is no way that you can pivot if, God forbid, you know, another global crisis swoops in and and shuts down the world again. Um, I suppose my question is, how do you crisis-proof Aqua Walk? Aqua Walk is. So we have actually expanded a little bit in terms of our diversified businesses. Uh, one example is um, one of our subsidiaries, Aqua Blue. So Aqua Blue is actually a uh, turnkey contractor. What they do is they design, build, and uh, hand over operations of aquariums, um, and they have a global footprint. You know, we've done designs for aquariums in Berlin, um, in Bali, in Russia, and so on. So that division post-pandemic has been a lot more active in terms of canvassing both clients as well as, you know, construction projects. Um, We have a number of private clients that have Mm -hmm. very large aquariums that require specialist work that, you know, you just simply cannot find anywhere else. Uh, We do have a lot of uh, clients that are asking us to design or build large-scale commercial aquariums for them. We also do work for both our own businesses as well as our partners 
and are venturing into some commercial aspects of that aquarium building as well. So this also extends to life support systems. So it's not just for you know visitorship and all that. It's also commercial in nature. I'll get into AquaBlue a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the studio with us this morning is Daryl Fong, the Executive Director of AquaWalk Group. On the other side of the break, we find out about Daryl's plans to float this company, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. BFM 89.9, welcome back. This is The Breakfast Grill. We are in the middle of our chat with Daryl Fong, the Executive Director of Aqua Walk Group, Aquaria KLCC's parent company. Now, Daryl, how have your operations in Phuket and Jakarta recovered? So Aquaria Phuket has recovered quite nicely. In terms of our operations, you know, we are doing very well. Our team there is quite solid. They've garnered quite a lot of experience in uh, both crisis management as well as uh, running a tight ship at the aquarium. In terms of our visitorship, it has recovered to what we are budgeting for this year. We are looking to be profitable this year for Aquaria Phuket. Mm-hmm. However, in terms of Phuket itself as a city, I think the recovery has been slower than we would have liked compared to other locations such as Bali. You, you invested something like uh, 15 million uh, US dollars into the uh, Phuket uh, Aquarium. Uh, you, you are expecting it to be profitable sometime this year? This year. We expect it to be profitable by the end of this year. That's, that's rather quick, isn't it? I mean, considering that you were shuttered as well for, ah, for about yes. two, or three, two, two and a half years. Well, we expect it to be uh, turning a profit, but mm-hmm. of course, the payback period we expect will be much longer than that. The aquarium business is one where if you do it right, if you get all the pieces working together, then you know, profitability really should not be something that uh, you would have to worry too heavily about. It's not an easy business. Mm-hmm. It is very specialized. There are very high barriers to entry and there are a lot of moving parts that are very different from one another that need to come together to make it work. And I think we have all that in Phuket. So for us, I think as a company, this isn't something that is out of the ordinary or scary for us. So, you know, when we when we look at locations for establishing a new facility, when we pick them, I think we, we, we generally do a decent job of making sure that this will be a location that will be profitable rather than, you know, a, a, a weight around our necks. I, I understand Phuket, but what about Jakarta? I mean, why? what was the decision to have one in Jakarta? Jakarta is a massive population centre. And when we went into Jakarta at the time, there was only one other significant aquarium that was there, and that was uh, Anchol. And it was fairly dated at the time. We went in together with our local partners, Taman Safari, who themselves run six safari parks throughout Indonesia. So we did go in with a very strong partnership already in hand. It's the same reasoning many businesses want to go to Jakarta and want to come to Southeast Asia in general. It's a very large population center. It's a growing middle class. And there are people there who are hungry for experiences that are world class. The last time you were on this program as well, you talked about expansion plans and you mentioned Vietnam and India. Where are we now with that? So we actually, I actually came back from India uh, about, I think it's just over a month ago. We went on a bit of a short jaunt throughout uh, India looking at some of the established aquariums. One of our long-standing partners um, has been in operation in India and we are looking to expand in with them to open up some aquariums there. Which city is that? Well, I I can't quite tell you that right now because uh, both the partners as well as some of the governments that we signed with, you know, there's an NDA. But 
we are on track with that. It is still very preliminary. We're still looking at whether or not this is the right direction for us to be moving in. India is a very lucrative, very attractive market, but it does come with its own fair share of challenges. What about in Vietnam? Because the Korean company Lotte World, they opened one in Hanoi, and that's 97,000 yes. square feet, complete with penguins and sea lions. Are you Have you abandoned Vietnam? No, we have not. So we also recently came back from Korea. Again, uh, we visited with the Lotte Group there. And uh, when the aquarium in Hanoi was pre-opening, in its pre-opening stages, my managing director, Dato Simon, actually went to Hanoi to visit with them as well at their invitation. Yeah. Uh, we are exploring some partnerships and collaborations with them. Again, early stages. But no, that's not off our radar. It's still very much within what we are intending to do. But it's going to be delayed because I think the last time you spoke to us, the idea was to have one in place by 2021 or 22, right? Yes. Um, you know, I guess most things are delayed by virtue <laughs> of the pandemic just saying no to everything that we had planned. We had actually identified locations in Ho Chi Minh and we were looking at uh, going in with some partners already to okay. begin construction. And then, of course, the pandemic showed up and we thought, well, you know. So it's still very much within our scope of plans. It's on track for us just to delayed by two years because of the pandemic. When we're talking about Jakarta just now, you talked about old, outdated aquariums in the area, which kind of makes me think about the one we have in Penang. What about expanding within Malaysia? And I would figure Penang would be a a great place for you guys to, to move into. I think, again, um, going back to what I mentioned earlier about population centres, about locations and about, uh, you know, it's something that we would want to consider. But again, it would come down to the cost benefit. You've also mentioned the capex investiture in this kind of uh, business is very high. So this is not something that, you know, you could open like a retail store. It requires a lot of consideration. And for us, I think Penang, it could be a very challenging market because Mm -hmm. it's population in Penang itself is smaller than, say, you know, KL. And and if, let's say, we wanted to open in Vietnam, again, smaller. We're looking at this in a regional sense. So if I'm going to invest upwards of 20 million US dollars, why Penang as opposed to, say, Ho Chi Minh? So that's the first first consideration we would do. Second one, of course, being that we're already in Kuala Lumpur. So, you know, we would be fighting with ourselves in terms of visitors coming into KL first and then flying over to Penang. So opening in Penang, I feel, would be targeting a much more local market, which, again, for the kind of investment that we do, the kind of facilities that we do may not be the best return on interest. Which brings me to your aquarium designing subsidiary, which you talked about earlier, the Aqua Blue Technologies. It's one of your more yes. profitable subsidiaries. Tell me more about the kind of demand for these services? So that demand has increased quite tremendously in the last few years. When Aqua Blue first started, it was more of a, uh, I wouldn't say cost-saving, but it was something more synergistic with our parent company where we were able to sequester our specialist team that's able to design, build, and engineer these aquariums. And what they did for us was they were instrumental in expanding our aquarium plans, designing and building. It's good to have people in-house that know exactly what you want and what you need to do. And they were also able to perform a lot of maintenance, a lot Mm. of uh, restorative works, a lot of, of our expansions are done together with them. So over time, especially during the pandemic, that's when we started talking about you know whether we could expand and and, and crisis proof the business. Yeah. So Aqua Blue was one of those ways where we started looking more deeply into it, and a number of companies in Southeast Asia, in the Greater Asia region, actually, have been looking into 
expanding their offerings in terms of development. So, you know, you have a lot of developers that build houses, condominiums, and what they always want to do is provide a lifestyle experience. Part of it is an attraction of some sort, which is what we do as well. You call it a public aquarium architect company. And that's that's quite a quite a cool term for it. <laughs> it describes best what they are specialized in, um, but they do other things as well. You know, we've done restaurant designs, we've done you know holding facilities, they've done private aquariums, they've done um, residentials. So it's it's not just limited to that, but that is their bread and butter. You did indicate once that the original plan was to list in 2020, but we know what happened then. Mm-hmm. You then said that you were now looking at 2024, which is next year. What's the plan like now? Is there more clarity for us? Yeah, so we have already begun canvassing our advisors, bankers, and so on. We've actually narrowed it down to a select few. The plan is to be listed by end 2024, early 2025. Again, this will be dependent on you know, our appointment of the advisors and the uh, ongoing economic conditions. But I think things seem quite on track for a 2025, early 2025 listing. And to be clear, the listing is in Malaysia? Yes, we're looking at Malaysia. What will the listing proceeds be used for? So the listing proceeds, we're looking at using that for, again, like I mentioned earlier, our expansion plans. Mm-hmm. By and large, we have a very healthy cash flow, the pandemic notwithstanding. And I think our cash reserves are currently sufficient if we needed to build an aquarium on our own. But again, given the expansion plans that we have and the size of our team and the confidence that we have in this team to execute these plans, we're quite confident being able to do multiple projects at the same time. So that's what we would be using the uh, listing proceeds to do, both that as well as you know any upgrade uh, or renovation works required for our aquariums. As I was saying at the start of our conversation, conservation, I feel, you know, should always be at the heart of the work that, that, that you guys do. How does Aquawalk balance these, these two objectives, um, conservation versus making a profit? Well, at the end of the day, um, conservation is the main reason why we're here. And as long as people are interested in the marine world, in conservation, and the unique experiences that can be offered by a glimpse into the ocean, I think, you know, that leads to the other. So as long as we do our job well, you know, we provide a very welcoming environment, not just for our visitors, but also for the inhabitants that we take care of. And we ensure that, uh, you know, we are able to communicate this across well in terms of conservation, in terms of an experience underwater, in terms of inspiring some interest and wonder in the uh, underwater world. Uh, I think we wouldn't have to really worry about the profits as long as you do that. You know, I see on your Instagram that you are an avid diver as well. What do you see the situation to be like with regards to conservation in Malaysia? What do you think is lacking here? I think it's a lot of awareness, not just in Malaysia, but globally. A lot of people are very much more aware of environmental concerns, but a lot of that tends to be focused above the waterline Mm. um, because that's what we're most able to easily see and what most directly impacts us. If smog happens, okay, you cough at home and it bothers you. If you walk in the streets and it's dirty, that bothers you. You know, it affects health and so on. And deforestation, easy to see. But under the water, the ocean, it looks so vast. It's very hard to determine exactly how badly things are going in the ocean. But something people don't realize is that the ocean has a much larger impact on the globe than forestation. Not to say it's not important, but as an example, the majority of the air that we breathe, over 60, 65%, if I'm not mistaken, comes from the ocean mm. rather than the forests, as an example. 
in Malaysia itself, we have a great number of experts and very passionate people who work tirelessly to both do research as well as conserve the natural resource and heritage that we have in Malaysia. We work quite closely with them and we do our best to both raise their profile as well as provide the much needed facilities, funding and support that they require to get on with the work of saving the planet. Daryl, thank you for coming into the studios and good luck with EcoWalk's future and your conservation efforts. Thank you so much, Keith. It was a pleasure to be here. On the Breakfast Grill this morning was Daryl Fong, Executive Director of EcoWalk Group, Aquaria KLCC's parent company. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.